Praise the Lord. If you brought a Bible, go please to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 4 this morning. If uh, you don't have a Bible, you can find it on your digital device there or read along here on the screen in just a moment. Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. We began last week talking about anointing fall on me. How many of you want the anointing to fall on you? The anointing of the Holy Spirit is what makes the Christian life possible. The presence of God on your gifts is what makes you effective in your walk with God and in the ministry and purpose of God in your life. And so we continue this morning with that as our prayer, anointing fall on me. Because the influence of the anointing is so great that it can change Beville if it's on you. How many of you believe that? The anointing on you can change your family. The anointing on you can change your extended family and can change our community. And so we pray, anointing fall on me. And God, I know, is answering that prayer. We're in the middle of our 21-day fast as a church. That's 21 days of seeking God's face, 21 days of fasting as the Lord leads each of you individually. If you haven't joined us yet, make up in your mind I'm going to be part of this fast. It's better to start now than not to do it at all because there's a great blessing when you take the time and the attention that we normally give to food and other things and we give it to God. We give our focus to God and we can hear what he has to say for our life. This morning is a holy convocation. That means all day long we'll be here in the house of the Lord. So after we've dismissed, if you want to be a part of the convocation, just stay here in the, in the sanctuary. We're going to continue in prayer and scripture reading throughout the day and in uh, the worship of the Lord. And then we're going to have a meal together before our evening service. You won't want to miss this evening um, this day of convocation and this evening service. So be a part of that. Whenever God gives you an opportunity to draw near, take it. Tell your neighbor, take it. Take every opportunity you get to draw near to God. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. When, when he returned, when Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, the news about him was spreading throughout all of the surrounding district. And he began baptizing in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and he has set and to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for the presence of the Holy Spirit among us. I pray now that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God, and that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation, that they might receive the word, and that they might put it to use in their life quickly this morning, even as we hear it. Let us bear fruit from what we hear. We ask that in Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. 
The ministry of Jesus was one which was characterized by the power of God. The book of Acts tells us that Jesus of Nazareth was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. And that is a description that I would, that all of you would have over your life. That every one of us in this church, it could be said of us, that we were anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. But I want you to understand a few things with me as we begin this morning because many times when we think about the life of Jesus, we think that it is so extraordinary that it cannot possibly reflect our life. And yet it is God's purpose and God's plan for every person here to become like Jesus. I want you to know, first of all, that Jesus was a man. He was 100% human. He had a nature of man just like you and I have. He was born of a virgin, and so he was born without a sin nature. But He had a regular, ordinary human body just like the one you have. If you cut him, he bled, and if you punched him, he bruised. He had the uh, abilities uh, of a man, and he was... Having to grow up like a man, he learned how to walk and talk just like you and I had to do as infants. His, his life for the first 30 years was the regular, ordinary life of a man on the earth. He was also God. He was 100% God. He was God in uh, human flesh. He was the second person of the Godhead in, human, in a human body. And so when we think of Jesus, we think of a man who was also God. But you see, when we look at the life of Christ, we're not seeing a man who had superhuman power because he was God. Because, in fact, Jesus had laid aside the use of many of his divine rights in order to come and live among us. In order to live among us and in order for the disciples and those who saw him to be able to exist in his presence, he concealed his glory from them. And he lived only by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was omniscient. And yet you remember that he said, I don't know the day or the hour when the Son of Man is going to come. Only my Father knows that. Because he had laid aside the use of the power of his omniscience. He was omnipresent. He could have called uh, legions of angels to come and defend him when he was being flogged by the Roman soldiers. But he had laid aside the use of that power and that authority. He was omnipresent as, as a member of the Godhead, and yet he limited himself to live in a human body, and still to this day, Jesus is a man in a human body in heaven. And so when you look at the life of Jesus in the, in the uh, Gospels, you're seeing a man who was empowered by the Spirit of God. And we realize that if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, then you and I need the Holy Spirit too. Say amen, somebody. If Jesus needed the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon his life, then you and I also need the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon our life. I want you to notice with me what verse 14 says. It says that Jesus returned to Nazareth in the power of the Spirit. Nazareth was his hometown. It was the place where he had grown up. It was the place where he had become an apprentice to Joseph, his father. And uh, he had become a carpenter in that town. So no doubt, the people in that community, they knew him. In fact, the Bible said they called him the son of the carpenter. He was well known, perhaps, for the things he had made. Some of them ate at tables that Jesus had built. Some of them sat on tables or on chairs that Jesus had built. 
Some of them maybe lived in houses that Jesus had built. He was a carpenter. He was a man of trade. And many times they had seen him walk out of that town and go and, and cut down a tree and bring back the beams of that tree and bring them into his shop to be worked on. And so no doubt they had seen him come in and come out many times. But at the age of 30, he was moved by the Spirit of God into the beginning of his ministry. His first stop was the banks of the Jordan River. And he went to the Jordan River, and Jesus was baptized in water by John the Baptist. He came to John the Baptist, who was his cousin, and he said, it's necessary for you to baptize me. John said, I can't baptize you. You're more important than I am. You are the Messiah. You're the anointed one. But he said, John, it's necessary that all righteousness be fulfilled. And so Jesus was baptized in water, not because he was a sinner in need of the washing or cleansing of his sins. But he was baptized in water as an example to you and I. And he was baptized in water as the beginning of the journey that he was going to take in his ministry and his walk with, with the Lord on the earth. And so uh, he was, uh, as he was baptized in water, the Bible said that when he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit came down upon him and there was a, seen a dove that landed upon him and it was the Holy Spirit of God. And so now this man who had uh, existed as a carpenter who was an ordinary man now had an extraordinary power over his life. The scripture then says that he went into the wilderness for a 40-day fast. The fast that Jesus undertook was not like the one that you and I are in right now. Uh, first of all, we're in a 21-day fast, not in a 40-day fast. But Jesus was in a complete fast. He didn't eat or drink any water for 40 days. And that was uh, an extraordinary feat that was, that was led by the Spirit of God. And so unless the Holy Spirit tells you to do that, I don't recommend it to you, all right? Uh, because we might be having your funeral instead of uh, a revival. So you got to be careful about that. But he was ministered to by angels as he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And then you remember that he was tempted by the devil. The devil came to him. And at the end of his fast, think about this, because the devil came and tempted him, not when he was strong, but he came and tempted him when he was weak. And you know that the enemy always hits you where you're softest, right? And so the enemy came and tempted him, and yet he overcame the temptation of the devil. And so now it's time for him to go back home to Nazareth. It's time for him to go back and do the things that God has empowered him to do by the Spirit of God and that God has proven that he's capable of doing through the temptation process. And so we read that he came into Nazareth with the power of the Spirit. He hadn't been in Nazareth for some time. As you can tell, he had been pretty busy doing the will of God. But now his ministry was beginning to unfold. And when he walked back into Nazareth, he returned in the power of the Spirit. It was, he was a different sort of man. Now when they saw him, there was something different about him. He was no longer the boy they had seen working in Joseph's carpentry shop. He was no longer the man they had seen bringing in beams from the, from the forest in order to work on his, uh, in his shop. But rather, he was a man with some unusual and unex uh, an extraordinary uh, countenance upon, upon him. He had been in, in influenced by the Spirit of God. He had been anointed by the Spirit of God. Just like you were the day that you got saved. 
You went back home and people didn't recognize you. They said something's a little different about you. And they didn't realize that the Spirit of God had come upon your life. Say amen, somebody. I believe I speak prophetically this morning as I say that as you come through this 21-day fast, as you make this time to speak to God and to hear from God, that you're going to return to your home in the power of the Spirit. You're going to return to your job in the power of the Spirit. You're going to return to your life in the power of the Spirit, and people won't recognize you. They'll know something is different about you because the Spirit of God is on your life. Come on, somebody. You and I have to have the Holy Spirit of God. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be a different man. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be a different woman. Some of you, you wish you could be a different man than you were when you walked out of your house this morning. Can I tell you that if you will let the Holy Spirit have his way, he can make you a different man. He can make you a different woman. He can transform your life and your character and your temperament. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about the power and the influence of the anointing of the Holy Spirit on a life. And so Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. He came to Nazareth, that town that thought they knew him, but they didn't know what was on his life. They didn't know that the Spirit of God had come upon him. And so we read that uh, in, uh, in verse 15, it says that he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth where he was brought up. And as, his, as was his custom, he entered the synagogue and the sab on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. Now we notice that Jesus is not only empowered by the Spirit of God, but he went to the synagogue. He went to what we would consider the church. In that time, there was only one church in Israel. That was the temple. But there were several um, houses of prayer that were synagogues where people would go to study and to read the Word of God. And so on the Sabbath, the Bible said Jesus went into the synagogue as was his custom. How many of you have a custom of attending church? If this is your first time attending church, I want to encourage you to make it a custom to attend church. And don't just attend church on, on uh, Easter and Christmas, but make it a custom to be in the house of God every time that you can. Come on, somebody. If Jesus needed to go to church, guess what? You and I need to go to church, too. The Bible said not to neglect the assembling together of ourselves, um, especially as we see the day approaching. That means that the, the closer we get to the coming of Christ, the more we need to come together to pray, to hear the word, to be in the presence of God. Because we're living in evil days and we need the house of God. And so it was his custom to be in the house of God. And so you and I, when we come into the house of God, we are doing the very thing that Jesus did. When you, want to, when you have a, a sense in your heart, I need to go to church, that's the same thing that Jesus had in his heart. And so he came into the house of God, and he was handed the book of Isaiah. He was given the book that he had himself inspired by the Holy Spirit, Isaiah, to write. I want you to think about how incredible that is, that Isaiah uh, wrote a book about Jesus, and now Jesus is reading the book that he inspired Isaiah to write. That's why you shouldn't miss church, because you never know what's going to happen when you go to church. You never know when the author's going to show up and do something extraordinary. I don't think you heard me. I say you never know when the author's going to show up and do something extraordinary in your life, in his house. Anything's possible. And so he began to read the words of the prophet Isaiah. And these, uh, the words that Jesus chose to read are found today in Isaiah chapter 61. 
And he, wrote, he, wrote, he read these words. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Can you say that with me this morning? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. I want you to notice that phrase. First of all, we understand that he uses this term, the Lord God. That means that the Spirit of the, of the boss is upon me. The Spirit of the Master is upon me. That word Lord means that God is the one who controls my life. That God is the one who controls my decisions. That God is the one who guides and controls every aspect of my conduct and my character. You see, when you call Jesus Lord, you're calling Him Master. You're calling Him the boss. You're saying He's the one that calls the shots in my life. And so Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Is Jesus Lord in your heart? Is Jesus Lord in your life? Does Jesus hold sway over your decisions? Come on, somebody. If Jesus is Lord of your life, if Jesus is Lord of your heart, he's your guide. He's your teacher. He's your master. If he, if he says yes, it's yes. If he says no, it's no. If he says wait, we wait. Come on, somebody. When Jesus is Lord, Jesus is in control. He said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Now we understand that there is a Spirit upon us. This is a, first of all, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is a Holy Spirit. That's not just his name. That's his character. The Spirit of God is holy. Do you know that we worship and serve a holy God? Our God is a righteous God. Our God is a holy God, and His Spirit is holy. And so I don't, I don't uh, want to hear a saying around here, well, I just can't overcome temptation. I just can't live right. I just don't have the ability to live a holy life. The Holy Spirit is upon you. And the Holy Spirit is the one that gives you the power to live a holy life. Come on, somebody. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives you the power to live in righteousness before God. Secondly, He is a spirit of power. And so we should never say, I don't have the power. I don't have the strength. I can't. Why? Because the Spirit of God is upon us. And if the Spirit of God is upon us, then we have the power. Then we have the strength. Then we have the energy because He is a Spirit of power. He knows no limitation. He knows, uh, he knows no limit to His strength. He knows no limit to His authority. And He knows no limit to His miraculous power in your life. You know that God, when he saved you, he took your, your natural and he added super to it. And he made you a supernatural man and a supernatural woman. He's given you the supernatural power of God. Come on, somebody. I know you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, I don't know. I don't know if I feel that. I don't know if I really ever experienced that. Friend, if you haven't experienced it, if you don't know it, it's because you haven't walked in it. But the Holy Spirit on the inside of you is a spirit of power. He has the power to cast out devils. He has the power to take authority over disease. Come on, somebody. He has the power to change the direction of your life. And finally, he is a spirit that the Bible says a spirit of faith. That means that you and I should never say, well, I just don't have the faith for that. Have you ever said that? I just don't have the faith for that. I just don't know if I could believe for that much. Listen, friends, when you and I want anything from God, we're going to need faith. And I know sometimes our faith is weak. I know sometimes our faith is not, is not where uh, we would like it to be. 
But you see, the Bible doesn't talk about having a lot of faith. The Bible said that if you have a little faith, you can move mountains. Say amen, somebody. A little bit of faith can move a great mountain. And here's the fact. If you don't even have a little bit of faith, the Holy Spirit inside of you is a spirit of faith. And so when you don't have the faith, the Holy Spirit will step up and say, I'll believe in you. I'll believe for you. And he'll produce faith in your heart. So when you feel yourself falling into unbelief, when you feel yourself falling into doubt and shame, go ahead and just start praying in the Spirit. And when you start praying in the Spirit, faith is going to rise up in your heart. Faith is going to rise up in your soul because he is a spirit of faith. Now notice that phrase says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Upon who? It doesn't say he's just upon the pastor. It doesn't say he's just upon the elders. The Holy Spirit is upon me. So let's say it again. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Now how is it that the Holy Spirit can be upon us? Well, first of all, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in your life. That's the only way you could have been saved. That means that the day you gave your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit moved into your heart. How many of you remember that day? Do you remember the changes that happened in your life? Do you remember that your appetites changed? You used to like some things, now you don't like them. You used to do some things, now you don't do them. You used to lose your temper and didn't think twice about it. Now when you do that, there's conviction on the inside of you. What happened to you? You were indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. Listen, friend, if you're not saved, you don't have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. And you need the Holy Spirit. And so you need to be saved. You need to be born again. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to, this morning to say yes to Christ. To make him the Lord of your life. To give him an open door into your heart. He'll come and he'll forgive you of your sins. And he will give you power over sin. And he'll give you the ability to live the righteous and holy life that God demands. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit will come and dwell on the inside of you. But see, then there's, there's more to it than that. Because the Bible talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Not only does the Holy Spirit come to dwell on the inside of the new believer, but God has made available some extra power. You remember in the old, uh, in the old uh, cartoons we used to watch, they had turbo power? Well, that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. It's the turbo power that you need to get you into the place where you can do all that God has designed for you to do. And so we, we read about in the scripture that Jesus was, uh, that John the Baptist said when Jesus came that he would baptize us in the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then when Jesus was about to go into heaven, he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and it will be a power to make you a witness for me, a witness for God. The Holy Spirit baptism is a baptism not in water, but in fire. Every believer needs to be baptized in water. But there is a second baptism that God has for you. It is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a baptism in the power of God, a baptism in fire. And you know that that baptism is accompanied by the speaking in other tongues. Now you say, all right, preacher, I'm out right there. I'm out. I, I can't go that far. I'm scared of that. Uh, that, that, uh, that worries me a little bit. I, I've, seen, I've seen people speaking in tongues, and it just kind of, it kind of, uh, uh, I didn't understand it. And I, I know that that can be scary, and the enemy uses that against many people. But understand this. Tongues are not the Holy Spirit. They're a manifestation 
of the Holy Spirit. They're the evidence that the Holy Spirit has, that you have been baptized into the Holy Spirit. And so uh, when you are baptized into the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the evidence is that you will speak in a new tongue. And when you begin to speak in that new tongue, you're actually speaking to God in a language that the enemy can't understand. It is a code language that the enemy can't interrupt. And your mind doesn't necessarily understand it. But your spirit is communicating with God. Not only do you have that, that powerful prayer language, but the baptism in the Holy Spirit opens the floodgates for you to be able to experience all of the gifts of the Spirit. To be able to operate in gifts of healing and miracles, in gifts of, of discernment, in gifts of word of knowledge and word of wisdom and prophecy. When you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you then have access to all the arsenal of the tools that God has given to us in the 21st century to be able to do His work and to do His will. Is there anybody in here that knows what I'm talking about this morning? Are there any Spirit-baptized believers in here? Shout Amen then you know that this power is so extraordinary that it can change your entire life. It changes not only your, your life, but it changes your Christian life. Your spiritual life is completely different. And so I want you to desire that. I want you to ask God for that. I want you to, to have that in your heart. If you haven't received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, to start saying, Lord, baptize me. I want the Holy Spirit to be upon me. I want the Holy Spirit to fill my life. I've told you that before that I began to preach at the age of seven. And for uh, about six or seven years, I preached without that anointing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so I really didn't know what preaching was about. I was preaching because I was called to preach, and God had opened doors for me to preach. But one night at a youth camp in Louisiana, they made an invitation for us to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And uh, I, I went up to the altar that night, and they said, we're going to lay hands on you, praying in tongues, and you're going to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They did just like that, and I didn't receive uh, what, I, what I was expecting. I didn't receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. A lot of other people did, but I didn't. And so I was a little bit discouraged. I went back into my dorm room, went upstairs uh, into the, the dorm. I was there by myself. Everyone else was out doing whatever they do after, after church at youth camp. Uh, in the evening before curfew, and I was so discouraged, I didn't want to hang out with anybody, I just went and laid in my bed, and I just, I just staring at the ceiling, and while I was staring at the ceiling, uh, just as a little boy, I started to say, Lord, I believe you have baptized me in the Holy Spirit, I receive what you have promised to me, and as I was praying there on that bed, the Spirit of God came into that dorm and baptized me in the Spirit of God. Jesus baptized me in bed in the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. And he gave me power to preach. He gave me the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that when I began to preach after that, I started to see people get saved. And when people started getting saved, I realized, oh, this is why I was called to preach. This is why I, I was called by God. But do you see, it took the anointing of the Spirit of God. It took the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon my life to take me to that next level. Why am I telling you this? Not everyone in here is a preacher, but everyone in here has a purpose from God. Everyone in here has been called by God to do something. And if you are a spirit-empowered individual, you can bring changes to your company. You can bring changes to your job. You can bring changes to Beville. Come on, somebody. You can bring change to your family because of the spirit of God that is on your life. Would you say it with me? Anointing. 
fall on me. How many of you want the anointing of the Holy Spirit on your life? Jesus came into Nazareth and he said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because, say because. Listen, the anointing has a purpose. The anointing is not just for show. The anointing is not just for you to have a good experience. The anointing has a purpose. There is a because. There is something that God wants to do through your life. There is something that God wants to do through the gifts that are resident within your heart. And he can only do it if you will yield to him. And let his anointing take control in your life. But you see, when you have the anointing on your life, then you can do the because. You can do the thing that God designed you to do. Now Jesus listed here a few things that the anointing came to do. First of all, he said the anointing is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. God has anointed you and me by the power of the Spirit to anoint or to preach good news to people that only have bad news. Listen, we live in a bad news world. We live in a world where there is bad news about the economy and bad news about your health and bad news about your, about your job. And you get bad news about a family member and bad news about a relative. And it seems like we live in a world where there's always negative information and, and negative attention. But can I tell you that the Spirit of God has come and he's anointed you to bring good news. The, the, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word gospel means good news. Jesus is good news for a hurting world. Jesus is good news for your life this morning. If you don't know him, if you've never had a relationship with God, maybe you've heard some bad news this week. Can I tell you there's some good news? God loves you. God has a plan for your life. God wants to bring you up and not down. Come on, somebody. God wants to bring you out. He wants to set your feet on a stable place. He wants to deliver your marriage from divorce and separation. He wants to heal your relationships. And he wants to give you a relationship with God as well. This is the good news that you have been anointed to present and to preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know, friends, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a message that can change the darkest heart and bring light again. It can bring the darkest mind into clarity and hope. This is the good news that we proclaim, the good news that we preach, that God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is the good news. That while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Because Christ loved you. And he died on the cross that you might be free from sin and its power. Come on somebody. I'm talking about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember the story of a little boy who was uh, afflicted by cerebral palsy. And he, he went to a youth camp, and he, he, of course, because he was afflicted by this, by this infirmity, he would uh, talk a little different, and he walked a little different. And uh, there was at that youth camp a young man who was a bit of a bully, and he liked to uh, think he was funny, and, and people laughed at his jokes. And so he, he always made fun of this particular young man with cerebral palsy, and the kids seemed to get a good kick out of it. And the last day of camp, they were all loading up on the buses, ready to go home. And he saw that little boy with cerebral palsy running down the sidewalk toward the bus. 
and he started to think about what he was going to say to insult him so that everyone would laugh, and they would all think about how funny he was just before they left camp. And so he saw this little boy, and the little boy was running down the sidewalk, and he was shouting, and, and no one could quite make out what he was shouting. But they, uh, as he got closer, they heard that he said, that he was shouting, he was saying, Good news! Good news! And that, that bully got ready with his insult. But that little boy got louder and said, Good news! When he broke into the crowd where they were waiting for the buses, he said, Good news! Jesus loves me! And, and that bully was arrested immediately by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He couldn't insult him. He couldn't tear him down. He couldn't cut him down because he had heard a message that still changes life. I have good news for you this morning. Jesus loves you. Come on, Kingsway. You are the object of God's affection. You are the object of God's love. And he has anointed you to tell the world that they are loved by God. That they, are, uh, that they are loved by a God who cared so much that while before we even knew that we needed him, he was already present to save. Then Jesus said, he has anointed me to preach deliverance to captives and to set free those who are oppressed. I told you last week that the anointing will bring freedom. The anointing destroys the yoke. When you have the anointing of the Spirit of God upon your life, that anointing is able to deliver the captive and to make him free. That anointing is able to set free those who are bound by drugs. Those who are bound by addictions to other things. That anointing is able to free those who are bound by depression. Those who are bound by suicidal thoughts and fears. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is able to take you out of the chains of your past and bring you into the freedom of God's future for your life. The anointing alone can do that. Listen, friends, you can go to every, every treatment center in the nation. And without Jesus, you can't be free. Without Jesus, you can't be whole. Without Jesus, you'll walk out with the same chains you walked in with. But when Jesus comes into your life, Jesus will break the chains. Jesus will destroy the yoke. Jesus will give you liberty. Jesus will give you freedom. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about a God that is still able to set the captive free. I remember when I was uh, in, in high school hearing the story of a, of a young man whose parents were going through a divorce. And when his parents were going through a divorce, he was in high school, and he was, uh, uh, he was trying to process and cope with this. And what he ended up doing was he became very angry, and rage would come over him. And sometimes he would get so enraged that he would start tearing things apart. And one day, somebody accidentally bumped into him in the uh, cafeteria. And when this happened, he went into a rage. He started throwing over tables, and he started to throw chairs around, and it became a very dangerous situation. And while he was doing this, a young lady who was full of the Holy Spirit walked up to him, and she began praying in tongues. She began praying in the Spirit, and she laid hands on him, and he calmed down. And uh, that young man got, got, came back into his senses, and uh, he was peaceful and tranquil for that, for that uh, next few days. And the principal told that young lady, she said, look, I appreciate what you did, but don't ever do that again. That's not allowed here at school. You can't do that. You can't pray, and you can't pray in tongues, for sure. So she said, all right. She acknowledged that. And a few days later, 
She's in, in class minding her own business, and she hears the principal's voice over the speaker, and he says, would you please come to my office? And she thought, oh, come on, I already, I already, told, I already know what you have to say. And uh, she thought he was going to get on her again, but she, she came up to his office, she looked through that little window in the principal's office, and she saw that young man in a rage tearing up the principal's office. And uh, he said, uh, do you think you could go in there and do what you did the other day? And so she went in that office, and she laid hands on him, and she prayed for him and prayed in the spirit, and that rage subsided, and then she led him to Jesus, and that young man became a preacher of the gospel because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about the Holy Ghost. He can destroy the yoke. He can break the chain. He can destroy the power of bondage in any life. Jesus said he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to set free those who are oppressed, and to heal the brokenhearted. Listen, the anointing can heal the brokenhearted. Do you realize that when Jesus says this, he's saying, I can heal the deepest, most intimate brokenness of the human heart. There are some things that we can't see from the outside. Someone said when, you, when we were growing up, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That was a lie, wasn't it? You discovered that your bones will heal. Bruises will heal. But the broken heart doesn't heal without Jesus. But Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. He came because he loves you. He doesn't want you to walk around with the wounds of your past, the wounds of, of yesterday, the shame of your past failures. He is the healer and the mender of the broken heart. John chapter 4 tells us about a woman who had a broken heart. She had had several husbands, and the man she was living with was not her husband. When I read that story, I, I think about a woman whose heart was broken. She must have thought when she got married, this man is going to make me happy. If I get married, this is going to be it. I'm finally going to be happy. And then she got married, and she wasn't happy. I don't know if it was the man's fault or her fault or whose fault it was, but the fact is this. Whenever you try to get what only God can give you from somebody else, it's bound and doomed for failure. Only Jesus can meet the need of your heart. So she got herself another man, a new man, a new husband. This one is going to make me happy, and I'm more experienced now. I know how to do this. Well, guess what? Another failure. Three's a charm. This husband, he'll be the one. The last one didn't treat me right. The last one got away with things, but this one won't. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep him in line. But this time I'm going to be happy. And over and over again, she was disappointed and she was broken. And can, can I just tell you, after that many husbands, you can't help but have a broken heart. After that many failures, she couldn't help but have a broken heart. And the Bible tells us that she went out to draw water, and she went out to draw water in the middle of the day. Most of the women would go in the morning or the evening because that's when it was cooler. But this woman went in the middle of the day. Why? Because she wanted to be alone. She wanted to isolate herself. She didn't want to hear those women saying, that's the lady that had all the husbands. 
You better watch out for your man because she'll probably take him if you're not careful. She didn't want to hear that. She didn't want to hear the murmuring and the gossip and the complaint. Her heart was already broken. And guess what? She gets to the well, and there's a man at the well. The last thing she wanted to see was a man. And she came, and she thought, well, he's a Jewish man. I'm a Samaritan. We don't, we don't get along, so maybe he won't say anything to me. I won't say anything to him. It'll be fine. And she starts drawing water. And while she's drawing the water, Jesus says to her, he says, woman, give me a drink. And she responds with bitterness and brokenness. She says, you don't even have a pitcher to draw with. And the well is deep. How then do you tell me to give you a drink? Jesus says to her, woman, if you knew the gift of God. And who it is that you're talking to. You would have asked of me. And I would have given you living water. And Jesus began to pour that living water into her heart. The anointing of the spirit began to be poured out into that woman's heart. And that broken heart began to be healed. That broken heart began to be mended. Oh friends there's nothing like a healing conversation with Jesus. Jesus is the healer of the broken heart. And she went away from there joyful and proclaiming good news to her community of what Jesus had done in her life. Can I tell you this morning, Jesus wants to heal your broken heart. The anointing of the Spirit is able to do that. It's able to get down every nook and cranny of your life and to heal and to restore and to mend. Would you just give him room? Would you just say, Lord, give me a drink? Would you say, Holy Spirit, fall on me. Anointing, fall on me. Because I don't want to go back to Nazareth the way I left. I want to go back home being a new man. I want to go back to my job being a new man. I want to go into 2019 being a new man, a new woman empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. If that's your desire this morning, I want you to be serious about it and press in, dig deep with God. Because God says this, call upon me and I will answer you. Seek me and I, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to invite you this, into this altar. Every single person in this room can use the anointing of God in their life. So I want you to just come, every person in here, just come to the Lord and say, anointing, fall on me. Just tell God, God, I need the anointing of the Holy Spirit on my life. Tell him, Lord, I want the Holy Spirit to be on my life. I want the power of the Spirit. I want the faith of the Spirit. I want the holiness of the Spirit. I want all that you have for me. Come on, just come with a sincere heart. Open your heart to Him. He'll do the rest. There's good news this morning. There's good news. The anointing destroys the yoke. The anointing destroys the yoke.